I think it's really important for the clinics to get as many people in. There's lots of patients out there, but we have to make it possible for them. And that's by providing really quality, cost-effective care and dealing with this financial problem up front because it is the number one problem. Patients don't get care and we're all going to want more patients. Welcome to the Coronavirus Business Response Series of Inside Reproductive Health. Here, you'll be updated on the latest insights on managing and owning a fertility business or IVF center during the COVID-19 pandemic. We put out free podcasts, webinars, and articles as soon as new topics arise, so make sure to subscribe to stay updated. The best way to help us in return is to share this episode with someone in the fertility field that would find it useful. Now, Here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today I have with me, I have Andy Swan from Ally and I have Dr. David Adamson from Arc Fertility, who's the founder of that, who's a physician that you all know well. And I want to ask both of these gentlemen about the financial routes that patients are, are going to take now and how they might change in the next couple months and what it will be like when this starts to settle because we're not sure if this is going to settle in in one sort of spike and have a you know a quick economic recovery um this could roll for months and in peaks and valleys and the economic recovery could too and that uh, impacts our patients affordability so andy dr adamson welcome to the program thank you for agreeing to come on and answer some questions and uh i look forward to exploring this with you great it's nice to be here griffin what type of change is there has there been in the in the last month i mean we we've seen most clinics stop treatments how does that affect the financial side i want to explore that and then and then we can start to pull away some of the nuances from within it so you know i think uh griffin i'd probably start from the point that uh i really do think this is a you know an existential threat to society such as none of us have ever seen. So in situations like this, um, I've always sort of felt you should look at the big picture first and then hone in on the, you know, the narrow aspects of it. And I think the bigger aspects of the picture here are that society's really been changed. The employment situation's been changed. Uh, medical care uh, and the clinical practice of medicine's been really changed. And, and in fact, none of us really know what it's exactly going to look like when we come out of it. So I, I think the most important thing to start with is for each individual, you know, woman or man who's facing this kind of problem, uh, first of all, to start with their own situation and say, you know, where, where am I at in my financial life right now? How secure are jobs? How much do we have in resources, cash and credit cards and other resources, how much debt do we have? Are there ways that we can, you know, change our lifestyle right now to conserve cash? Are there ways that we can postpone payment of loans? Are there unnecessary expenses we can stop having? Are there big purchases we planned on we won't do? Are there are there assets that we can borrow against, uh, you know, such as a you know a home, etc. So uh, trips that could be postponed. I think if an individual is looking at having fertility treatment now uh, and finances are going to be an issue, which clearly it is for probably 90% of people doing this, uh, this is you know hard work to get the money. I think they need to start uh, with their own situation. Then I think they want to look at the clinic that they're going to and uh, make sure that uh, it's a cost-effective clinic. Uh, they want to ask them about whether they're going to have any new programs that are coming along, you know, with the changed world out there? Uh, will there be more telehealth? Will there be some reduction in expenses? I'm a firm believer there's a lot of protocols in IVF. Uh, some of them cost more than others, but aren't necessarily proven to be better. I think it's really important in talking with your doctor and your clinic uh, to see if they have lower cost options uh, that might be appropriate for you to see if uh, there are any protocols that might be cheaper for you because they use different kinds of drugs or less drugs. And if there are, you know, the proverbial quote add-ons and the quote that, you know, may not give value in a situation where you're really struggling to get enough money for it. So I think looking at that, and then I'm sure Andy's going to talk about the, you know, the programs out there. I'll be happy to talk about it a bit too, but 
to look at the programs and what's going on with lenders to try to get more money. But I really think it, uh, that dealing with this situation is, is going to take a broad perspective, a broad approach with the patients, the clinics, obviously lending uh, sources that, that are out there now. And we need to look at all of that in order to get the best possible outcome for everybody. Do you think that some programs will have to change their pricing model, Dr. Adamson? You mentioned that you know, some programs cost more but aren't necessarily better in terms of success rates. And the converse of that would be that some programs cost less and aren't necessarily worse from, uh, from a cost standpoint. And I think there's only a few programs that have really gone into low lower cost IVF, and I'm not talking about mini IVF, I'm not talking about InvoCell, but a much lower IVF base price. And uh, you look at some of those programs and their their success rates are just as good as anyone. They're at least as good as the average. Some of them are a little bit better than the average. And so do you think that programs are going to have to start, are, are they going to have to cut their own cost? How would they adapt to this? Well, that's a great question. Uh, one thing that's uh been a certainty over the four decades since IVF really became established in the United States is that the clinics have been very um, responsive to market demands and market pressures. And I don't doubt that uh, clinics will be making changes. I don't think it's really possible to know exactly what those will be. Uh, I don't think the demand for babies is going to go away. So I think there are going to be just as many patients. And in fact, there should be in theory, a little bit of a backlog after this of people who, who couldn't have treatment are going to want to get back into treatment. So I don't think the patients are going to go away. Uh, but, you know, there's, a, there's problems uh, everywhere, right? I mean, a lot of the patients are worried. If you read the numbers, uh, 60% of the you know, households in the country have been affected by either unemployment or reduction in hours or concern about that by one or two people working in the family. I suspect it's not that high in the IVF population that gets treated, but it's probably still a very substantial uh, amount. And even if people haven't been directly affected, everybody's worried about maybe a second wave of, of the virus in the fall or what have you before we get a vaccine. It's an uncertain future for probably at least one in one to two years or so. So I think people are gonna be more cautious. So on that end, they're, they're gonna be more careful about you know, how they spend their money. On the other side of it, I mean, the, the clinics, of course, have been hammered uh, by this. I mean, they still have, you know, rent to pay and personnel and the, you know, embryo cryo tanks to keep up. And uh, they still have huge costs ongoing without getting revenue. So, you know, the clinics, uh, you know, have problems. So they won't be able to slash their prices completely because they're not in a position to do that. And at the same time, the lenders, you know, haven't had much business. So they've, they've suffered from that. And as well, uh, I think a really important factor uh, here, uh, which we'll, I'm sure, address a bit more later, but we don't know what the lending environment's going to look like in a month or two or three months. I mean, we don't know what federal interest rates will look like. They'll probably be very low, but that doesn't mean the lenders are going to want to lend you know, unsecured money to, to uh, people with, with uh, infertility. And it doesn't mean that those uh, patients are going to have the same credit scores, depending on what happened at their employment and with their income and, and what have you. So I think there's a huge amount of uncertainty. Uh, and I think that's why it's important for any patient who's listening to really take a, you know, a holistic look, because this is an existential threat. It didn't affect one aspect of society. It's affected everybody in multiple ways. And I think they want to start with the fundamentals about conserving cash, you know, trying to stay as liquid as they can, not getting more expenses and getting prepared, and then looking at their options within the clinics about how to get the care they need, but not spending any more than they need to spend to get it. And with the lenders, get the lenders, I'm sure Andy's going to talk about that. So Andy, before we talk about what this is going to do to the lending landscape, how does the lending landscape look now? What's changed in the last month or month and a half. Yeah, so I'm happy to touch on that. And I think Dr. Adamson did a great job of kind of hit, I mean, initially talking about it where, you know, I would say in the middle of March, where clinics were still trying to navigate the storm. And, you know, a lot of the mandates are coming from state governors on what is considered an essential business, the ASRM guidelines have been 
you know, changing week in and week out. And, you know, in the middle of March, we still were seeing applications come in on a pretty regular basis. I think a lot of patients were actually trying to finalize their loans so they can make sure that they were getting on the fertility clinics calendars and getting their treatments scheduled. Now, in the past two weeks, we've seen the numbers drop significantly. We're seeing loans being finalized here and there, as there are some clinics that are still continuing to operate as normal. It's of patients, I, you know, it hits back to what Dr. Adamson said, you know, patients are saying, I need to start looking at financing to break this down into affordable monthly payments because, you know, there's economic uncertainty. I don't know how my job will be impacted. So the $15,000 to $20,000 ticket price now becomes, I don't want to just swallow that and be illiquid. And from the clinics that we've talked to, I think they're I think there's going to be a demand when the doors are able to open up and the world normalizes a bit. And I think there's going to be a greater demand for financing. Now, in terms of ally lending specifically, you know, we're lucky being a publicly traded company, having a strong balance sheet where we've been able to keep our interest rates as is. So where patients may look to go to a credit card where they're going to see really 1499 APRs, we start at 3.99. And in terms of what Ally is just doing a phenomenal job in terms of helping existing borrowers and new borrowers. So we've put in a place 120 day payment deferral program. It's putting your loan on pause. It's not, hey, we're going to let you skip on a payment and those four months build up and then you get hit with a lump sum. It really puts it on pause which I think is huge for these uncertain times, especially with fertility patients, not knowing when are they going to be able to start those cycles. It's, and how far back does that go, Andy, for patients that started when? I mean, did, did somebody, is somebody paying, that, that's paying a loan that, that cycled in May of 2019, are they able to do the same thing? Uh, it's any borrower of ours. So uh, one question that we had, which was, and maybe both of you gentlemen can go over it, which is which loan programs are being used for IVF cycles is the question. So maybe both of you gentlemen can give an overview of just what programs are available for people. The question is which loan programs are being used for IVF cycles. Dr. Adamson, we'll start with you. Well, you know, I think there's, there are very many sources of loans out there. I think the the first thing for patients to do, frankly, is to talk with their clinic uh, and ask the clinic if you know they have any programs. Some people go uh, start with a loan program. Frankly, they go down the street to their own bank and they they see if they can you know borrow money on their house. You know, get a line of credit or a second mortgage on their house. The mortgage rates are very very low now. This question was from an anonymous attendee, but I'm almost everyone on here is either a clinician or someone that works at a clinic. So I think they're they're asking of what what programs can the clinics uh, Okay, so, well, I, I still think it's reasonable for financial counselors and clinics uh, to, give, uh, to give patients a holistic answer. And I think that they should start uh, looking at their own resources first, and then they should ask what the clinic has and whether the clinic uh, you know, knows of any special uh, programs, which there are. There's some programs with the drug companies and programs you know, for cancer patients, et cetera. And I think it's important for people to look at all these. And certainly uh, when, uh, you know, ARC, uh, ARC clinics do a quarter of the cycles in the country and those patients uh, call us and we work uh, with a number of lenders and we try to get the best rates we can for each uh, patient based on what their needs are. Patients have different needs. Some need more money, some need less money. Uh, some want uh, a certain term, they can pay it off in a shorter time and others need a longer term. Some really are interested in an interest rate that matters to them. Most people, the most important thing is the affordability on a monthly basis, what's the monthly payment. So I think uh, my answer would be that there are are, uh, different lenders out there that have different, slightly different types of programs. And it's a good idea uh, for the clinics to know which one is going to work, uh, going to work best for them, uh, and uh, so that they can optimize it. At the end of the day, you know, if it's not a good deal for the patient, it won't be a good deal for the clinic, because if the patient doesn't get a loan or doesn't get what they need, they're not going to go forward in that clinic, or they'll go to another clinic to get what they want. 
So I don't, I don't think there ought to be a difference in terms of what works well for the clinic and what works well for the patient. Their interests clearly are aligned and I think need to be aligned uh, in the presentation of the patients. And I'm okay with both of you naming some of those programs by name. We're not giving any one program a commercial here, but if, uh, we can name a few different programs. Uh, Andy, do you want to give an overview? Yeah, there's four or five typical specialty lenders within the fertility space. We see Lending Club, you see a United Medical Credit. Future Family is a newer name in there in CapExMD. So a lot of clinics are partnering with say fertility specialty lenders. And that's because it provides a lot more comfort to the patient and to the clinic because they're more familiar with the fertility process because it can be complicated in terms of, you know, a patient wants to take out a loan for multiple different services. So how do you ensure the loan amount is able to cover the medication side of things, genetic testing, if there's donor services used. Now, Consumers are also looking to other avenues, as Dr. Adamson mentioned, which is, you know, going on their, drawing on their 401k or a home equity line. In terms of Ally, we keep it pretty simple and we do standard installment loan products. So we do 24 to 72 months um, in terms of terms. And I would say most patients are falling in the 48 to 72 month range. And the reason for that is that's going to break it down into much more manageable monthly payments. So seeing anywhere from $250 to $350. And there's no prepayment penalties if you're to pay off your loan early. So at least they keep the expenses manageable. They're not as impacted by the economy as they thought, or they are a little more liquid and feel comfortable paying it off. They can do that early with no penalties to them. I think Going back to what Dr. Adamson was saying, you know, I think this is a unique opportunity for clinics to engage with their patients and let them, you know, financing usually happens much further down in the conversation and in the fertility journey. The patient comes in, they have their initial consult, they're getting presented their different treatment, what their treatment options will be and what the cost may look like. And, you know, that's a three-hour consultation and then financing is presented and really that patient is overwhelmed at that point and isn't really retaining much of that information where now clinics really have a unique opportunity. They're having these telehealth or phone consults. It's, you know, they can talk about financing now and upfront and talk about how with different lending programs that they can pre-qualify and see how much is available to me. You know, what are the interest rates going to look like? What is a monthly payment possibly going to look like? The patients can then use this time to see what is the best option for them and their family. What is this going to look like if I fit it into my current budget? And if they don't pre-qualify, it's an opportunity for them to work, see if there's friends or family members that would apply for a loan on their behalf. Yeah, I'd really like to add to what, uh, you know, what's just been said by Andy there. You know, there's there's been a long history uh, with IVF clinics of thinking that, you know, people come in the door, they, they can afford IVF. And the reality of it is that, that many of the patients that can't afford IVF don't ever approach it because they think it's too expensive. That's that's a perception they have. And of course, I don't feel IVF's too expensive. I certainly don't think IVF clinics overcharge or get paid too much for what they do. I think the services that are provided are extremely valuable. It's an issue of affordability, not of cost, and it's affordability based on disposable income uh, for an individual relative to how much income they have. And one of the big mistakes I think we've made, and it's not just with us, it's, it's everywhere, is assuming that, you know, when somebody calls up that they're going to be able to afford it. And I, as, as Annie just said, I think many clinics take way too long to get into the conversation about finances and rather than finances coming up sort of you know at the end after you think the patient's committed to staying for treatment and then you talk about gee you're gonna have to pay this for for what you need it should be brought up early on in the in the framework of we have a solution we know this costs money but obviously having a baby is really really important and it's very valuable and we want to make it affordable and we have solutions for you and this should be started early. It should be started 
when the patient first contacts the clinic and makes any kind of appointment because large numbers of patients drop out before the first appointment, either finding out what it's gonna cost, they have other reasons for dropping out too, or they call another clinic and find out they have a solution for their financial need that wasn't mentioned to them when they made their first appointment. And then it's also true, and there's really excellent evidence on this, it's not made up, that many, many patients drop out of care after they have their first consult, get told what they need, and then they decide they can't afford it or they won't go ahead. Uh, people drop out primarily over the money. They drop out over the emotional stress. They drop out over really poor prognosis, which, of course, sometimes is an appropriate choice for the patient. But mostly they drop out because they don't have money. And so I think it's important to present the solutions. The thing about ARC Fertility, so I will put my ARC hat on here for just a second, is that we work with a Lending Club as a preferred lender simply because we worked with them for 15 years and they've been a terrific partner of ours and we really enjoy working with them. But we also work with Ally and they've got uh, terrific goods and, and services too and we've really enjoyed working with them. And we have a third lender and sometimes even a fourth lender. So we work to try to get a solution because different patients have different needs and different lending companies have different criteria for whether someone gets approved, it doesn't get approved for how much, what the terms are. Again, Andy talked about that, but the terms can be anywhere from two to eight years. The amount lent can be, you know, under $10,000 to 50,000 and more. And the interest rates can be anywhere from, you know, four or 5% all the way up to 20%. And so these things are very different and different patients have different needs. And, and I think that a really intelligent approach to this upfront matters. Now, frankly, again, I don't want to do a lot of advertising because I don't think that's the idea here. But uh, one of the things about ARC Fertility, we take all that pain out of the clinic. People come to us and uh, Andy can probably tell you we have a 34% higher approval rate because we know where to go and what to do to get people the money they want. And that means that out of four patients that apply, we get three of them get a loan somewhere else and one more gets a loan if they come to us because we know how to put it all together. And sometimes we'll use a couple of lenders, we'll use credit cards, we use cash, we use all sorts of ways to get that person the money. And that's a win, not only for the patient, it's a win for the clinic. And I think far too many clinics have sort of left this in the side. And the reason is that nobody wants to talk about it. Doctors don't wanna talk about this. The nurses don't wanna talk about it. And so it gets left with a financial counselor, some of whom are well-trained, but I know because we deal with 85 clinics, that many of the clinics do not have very well-trained financial people just because of turnover and what have you. Nothing purposeful about it. It's just that it's a very problematic area. And nobody likes to talk to a patient who's emotionally upset over just finding out, you know, what their care has to be and what their prognosis is and then how much money it is. And then they say, oh, by the way, I don't have that much money. I mean, these patients, you know, sense of personhood and womanhood um, and, you know, being a good wife and a potential mother are just absolutely devastated by, by these blows. And so it's very important, I think, to come in with early upfront solutions, as Andy has said. And so I do think that the demand, uh, because of the changed economic times, in fact, is going to go up. The question is going to be, will the lending resources be there to meet that need? And I don't think we know yet. I hope so. It's a you know, very low interest rate environment right now. Uh, but people are still going to have to have a decent amount of credit uh, to get an unsecured loan because the lenders have to know they have a pretty good probability of getting paid back or else they can't lend the money. So there's two directions I want to take that um, where, where I want to kind of go with this is one, I think we can do a little bit of an amateur high level training for financial counselors and, and provide some value for people. But I do want to beg the question, Andy, is will the lending resources be there if banks really have to tighten up across the board, not necessarily speaking for your institution, but just across the board? Personally, I, I mean, I can't predict exactly what is going to happen from my standpoint and at least how Ally is reacting as a company and what we're doing. You know, I've seen other competitors within the space or different industries having to raise their interest rates or increase requirements, and that's not something we've had to do. And we've been told that we're committed to this space. And, you know, I think in terms of fertility, you do see a pretty high quality borrower that is coming in the door. 
So I, I truly think there's going to be lending options available for these patients. And I think it's really a matter of getting in front of these conversations now and Ally specifically, we're really just trying to be a resource out there for current clinics that we work with and prospects in terms of helping coach their financial counselors on, you know, how to present financing or if it's an office administrator, how do, how do you go about implementing a financing program into your workflow? I mean, last year we spent 200 plus hours interviewing our patients, so borrowers of the fertility space, and then interviewing the financial counselors that we work with. And I can tell you, small clinics, large network clinics, they all have different processes. They all present financing in different ways. There's not one a process that's going to work out there, but I think there's a lot of insights that you know we're able to share. And I think a lot is what we heard from patients is what Dr. Adams is saying. They're finding out about financing too far along in the process. You know, a patient may start with an IUI and financing may not make sense for that $1,000 charge to $1,500 charge. But if they really look at the holistic view and see, here's what my chances of success are on this. And if I don't, here's the route I may have to go with IVF. They may wish that they didn't spend all this money out of pocket on IUIs and they just started a credit line essentially with a lender. So I think what clinics really can be doing now is, you know, using the partners that they work with and leaning on them and seeing how do we retrain our financial counselors and talk to them? How do they position financing? Make sure that they understand the programs that they're offering and invite, you know, partners like Ally to come and do webinars for their patients so we can talk to them about patient financing and ask their, and answer their questions. I think that's absolutely true, Andy. I completely agree with you. And uh, one of the things I like to point out that we've been facing is that, you know, patients call us up and they either, you know, have been approved for a loan right now, or we're just about through this phase, but approved for it, but they don't know whether they should take the loan or not. And then there are other people, you know, right now, we're probably saying, well, I, I can't start treatment yet, but my, my clinic, you know, maybe they're going to open up, maybe they're not. I think the patient should be calling the clinics. And I think the clinics should be calling the patients, especially the ones I think along, I think with most people, nobody knows, but there's probably going to be a bit of a rolling start in the IVF as well, because it's going to be different. I think people are going to have to use PPE and they're going to have to screen patients beforehand on the phone to see if they're sick and maybe be doing antibody tests on the way in the door. I mean, I don't think we know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's almost for sure going to be different. There'll be fewer people in the waiting room and there'll be more prepping ahead of time. There'll be more telemedicine. We've got a great telemedicine program. We've had a lot of uptake in that just in the last two weeks. They've been going out the door like hotcakes. People have finally found telemedicine, but there's going to be telemedicine. There's, there's going to be all this testing, a lot of PPE, a whole lot more cleaning. That's going to add cost. It's also going to slow down the process. And, and, because I think that the general societal rules are going to be, you probably should only start with, you know, not the emergency patients because they're supposed to be taken care of now and the really urgent ones now. But most clinics are probably going to start up with their 40 and 41 and 42 year olds and not the 31 year old that's been infertile for, you know, 14 months. Uh, husband's sperm counts 12 million, you know, and that's probably not where you're going to start on your first patient. So I think you should be calling the patients that you think are going to be the first ones back in the door, your older patients. You should be making treatment plans with them, and you should be talking to them about their financial situation. And if they're in a position now where they both still have a job, they're still getting paid, but they're not sure how they're going to cover the cost, they should be applying for a loan now. Because as Andy pointed out, you know, uh, Ally and and Lending Club also have both put postponed payments on things. And if you get a loan now, that used to be that you had to, you, you, you get a loan, you have about 30 days to take it out. And then you start, you don't pay for another month or so after that, your first payment. So that gives you about two months of runway before you actually have to make a payment. And now they put in a, put in a waiver on that. So you can get another two to three months out of it. So most patients can get, you know, easily, sort of like three to five months, they can put a loan in now, get the money, they both have a job, they know they really wanna have a baby and she's 38, so they're not gonna wait a whole lot more time. 
they can get a loan now and have everything all tied up and the clinic knows they're going to come back in for care and you know what the plan's going to be and you get the most cost effective plan. So I think this is the kind of proactive work that both the clinics uh, and the patients and look, we're in it together, it, you know, they have to do it together. So I would really suggest considering that for your high priority patients that you're going to, you know, be at the front of the line as soon as you can get open up, which I think, I think it's going to start getting loosened up here. I don't know. I have no inside knowledge, honestly, but I think it's two to four weeks. I think we'll really be starting to see a little lightning up here. Hey everyone, it's Griffin. This is the break in the show where normally I do a little commercial for our small engagement. And we do have a small engagement that's relevant to the COVID-19 business response. If you're cutting marketing, if you're trying to bring back your people as quickly as possible, if you're trying to build a cache of treatment ready patients, we do have that. But I would rather use this break to just ask if you find this useful, if you would share it with a colleague, either via email or on social media, we're doing everything we can to put out as many webinars, articles, free podcasts, all free resources to include as many people from the field as we possibly can to give you resources on how to manage and operate a fertility business or an IVF center during this time. And it's changing so quickly. So if you find this useful. I would really appreciate it if you would please share it with a colleague via email or via social media and help us grow the audience, but only if you find it valuable. And hopefully you are and back to your program. Where we're talking about right now is how do we prepare patients that as they come back, because everyone's going to have to make this decision for themselves, I believe. I think the next thing that ASRM is going to come back with is okay, you all, here's the next round of guidelines. Do what you think is best because you terrify us. I really think that that's what the, the next level is going to be. And it, many clinics are going to be deciding for themselves so that that cachet of treatment-ready patients is going to vary depending on what you decide to do. One of the things that will determine if, if they're ready for treatment is how they afford it. Dr. Adams, and you mentioned it's, it's often an aside, and then you're also talking about this is how now is the time to start uh, applying and educating. So taking it from being an aside to something that the financial counselors are educating on. Is there something that financial counselors are often missing or do you think that they're not advocating strongly enough because it's so hard to talk about money? I think it's very hard to talk about money, especially for patients who are understandably very upset already and very anxious. So I think it's a very, very difficult conversation. And the hard reality of it is not everybody gets approved. I mean, we wish everybody got approved, but that's just not true. And so it's not as though the financial counselor can say, oh, you know, sign this form and you're going to get money. It doesn't work like that. So it, it's, a, it's a very tough conversation, especially if they get turned down. And, you know, that, that's where I think, you know, if you have multiple lenders, uh, which has worked well for us, uh, that, that there are different ways, different places, different sources of money, different ways to go about it. And, you know, without, you know, sounding too difficult about this. I think it's really important for clinics to make sure that the services that are being provided to the patients are really evidence-based and clinically indicated and that patients getting value for it. And, uh, you know, I don't have to spend a lot of time on this because if there's a lot of REIs, they all know uh, what I'm talking about here. But it's very important not to spend five or $6,000 on something that may not help that much. If you could spend that money on another cycle or you could spend that money to buy a multi-cycle package instead of uh, spending it on something that, that maybe has minimal benefit for the patient. I think this is very important. And I think the clinics, I think will be in a new era. And I think the clinics that know how to deal with, with I think this uncertainty and anxiety in society is not gonna go away in July. I mean, I think it's really important for the clinics to get as many people and there's lots of patients out there, but we have to make it possible for them. And that's by providing really quality cost-effective care and dealing with this financial problem up front because it is the number one problem. Patients don't get care and we're all going to want more patients. That's by providing really quality cost-effective care 
and dealing with this financial problem up front because it is the number one problem. Patients don't get care and we're all going to want more patients. So deal with it up front, deal with it honestly, and, and, and look at the different options. I think try to encourage, I think it's honestly too much for most clinics to have a financial counselor who knows all the ins and outs of this. It's, it's too complicated, but they have a very important role to bring up the topic, discuss it, and get the patient to go to a source where, where they have a chance of, of getting the funding they need. Andy, it looked like you wanted to add and, to that. It looked like you were nodding. Uh, yeah, no, it's, um, I just had to echo the comments of, doc, <coughs> of Dr. Adamson. I mean, that's, again, referencing all the customer interviews that we've done. You know, as we spoke with financial counselors, they all feel like they're wearing seven different hats. You know, being a treatment coordinator, doing the financial counseling, just trying to be there and be empathetic with the patients who are going through an extremely difficult time. And a lot of it was difficult for them because they felt like they had the conversations about all these different financing programs and they'd hand over the brochures, that patient packet. And the next day the patient's calling and asking all the same questions that the financial counselor already covered. And so that's why, at least with us at Ally, we've, that's how we built our team. You know, we've reshaped our team so that our customer support team basically does the job of the financial counselor. So in terms of she's only, their team is only dedicated to fertility. So every time the patient calls in, they're getting their same support specialist. They're having a continued, you know, an ongoing dialogue. So they get the personalized care and touch and they feel, hey, this person's an advocate for me and trying to help me along this process. They know fertility treatment. They know what I'm going through, so they're empathetic. And it really takes a huge burden off the financial counselor where it's, okay, I have a trusted partner. I know if I send them over to Ally Lending, that patient's going to get taken care of. The right amount of money is going to get sent to the right places, and I'm not going to have to do extra work. And so I think we put such a focus on that because it frees up so much time for the clinic. And then a lot of clinics are going through difficult times now and having to furlough or let employees go. So, you know, they're going to be leaner shops when doors do reopen and the demand is still going to, we think the demand is still going to be there. So how do you efficiently move patients through the door and feel comfortable about getting them through the process? So fair enough. I mean, send them to us and we'll take care of it. I, I can see that there's some merit to that, but there still needs to be some level of education or rapport built from the financial counselor at the practice. And what does that need to be before you can even get to the, okay, here's some partners that we've worked with. They're going to walk you through it. They're really experienced, but there needs to be some rapport, even if often it is you're explaining everything to them and then they're calling back with the same questions because they just can't receive it. What do they need to be doing? So, you know, I think Andy, Andy made a great point and I really agree with him. I, I think the answer to that question, Griffin, is first of all, that the, the, there should be a program in place where the financial issues are addressed with the patients. I would say at the time they're making an appointment, literally, the patient should be told that we have, you know, financial solutions that we offer to all patients. And so, number one, it should be early. And then the material can be sent out even before a patient comes in. Uh, they can read it at home. They won't be emotionally upset just having had a, a consultation about their treatment and just be overwhelmed with information and, and maybe emotional, you know, uh, anxiety appropriately because of what they've been told. So you send it out early. And the number two thing is you send it to everybody. The person who drove up in the Mercedes might have leased that car and it's going to be reclaimed next week. And the person driving the Volkswagen you know, had shares in Google when it started. The evidence is out there. You cannot predict who is going to need financing or not. So the, the first big mistake is not doing it early enough at the very beginning. And the second mistake is not doing it for everybody. Don't try to guess who can afford it or not. And don't wait until they ask if you have a program. Uh, because the other advantage is that if you start this up front, and they know that you have packages of services like two cycle or three cycle packages that we have, the, the patient might decide to spend, I'll just make the numbers up, but instead of spending $18,000 for one cycle, they might decide to spend 
27 or $28,000 for a two cycle package or 31,000 for a three cycle package. And you've just sold a whole lot more services to somebody because you approached it up front and you solved the problem. So you wanna present it as a solution. You also want your financial counselor to be very empathetic, which I know they are, but they have hard days too. But if they start this early and they start it with everybody, they can really come across saying, we understand that this can be something that's not affordable for many people. In fact, we know it's not affordable for many people. We are here to solve your problem and make this affordable. And, and you start with a dialogue like that before the patient comes out just emotionally distraught from her consultation and the plan for her IVF treatment. And by the way, you know, it's $16,500 plus drugs or what have you. That's all. So start early, do it with everyone, and train, uh, train your financial counselor to do it. And then if they send them out to one of the lenders, certainly with us, you know, we have uh, you know, half a dozen concierge fertility specialists. All they do is day in, day out, all day, they know how to talk with people about the financial aspects of this and how to solve the problem. So there is expertise out there to solve the problem. I think the clinic's role is to do it early, do it for everybody, and do it with somebody who has empathy and can refer them to resources that have a high chance of success for the patient. That's what the clinic should be doing. Okay, so I can see where people are getting caught. The other piece, the other piece for financial counselors, you know, I, I get, I think it is incredibly important for them to establish rapport with the patient, right? Because they are, in a way, helping guide them through this process. But if a patient is able to be empowered and armed with that information upfront on what financing programs are available to them, you know, once that patient comes in for an initial consult and there can be a much more productive and efficient conversation that's able to happen because a financial counselor can then see, you know, John, you know, John and Mary Smith, they actually pre-qualified. I can see that in my lender portal. So I know they're actually interested at least in financing. We can talk about, you know, you're approved for X, Y, Z, you know, with that, here's these different packages that really fit within your loan options you know, or here's how much would be your out-of-pocket expense on top of the loan. You're really able to have a more constructive conversation based on that. So I think this is a, a where I see people getting caught up, and I love how you listed out these, these examples of where people get um, mistakes that people are making, Dr. Adams, which is they're not having this conversation early enough. They're not doing it for everyone, um, and maybe it's not the right people doing it. Someone uh, that maybe there's someone else with empathy that should be more empathy that should be doing it, or they, they just don't know if they can refer to the resources. But this point of not doing it early enough is coming from, they are waiting very often until someone asks. And the, one of the reasons why I see that happening is because it is, they perceive it uh, as that they'll lose someone if, if they feel like they start to talk about finance too early. And indeed, you will lose people if you talk about finance in the wrong way too early. And so we sometimes listen to phone calls of clients because our job is to get them there. Um, then we see what's happening. And very often what we hear is, hey, I'm just calling to see uh, how much it, it does IVF cost. And very often person gives them some sort of range or a number. And then may, may a couple other questions about what, what how much does PGT cost and uh, these sorts of questions. And then, okay, well, I'll talk about it with my partner. I'll think about it. We'll think about it. Uh, and then nothing happens. And there's no way of really telling if this, this ever become uh, a, a patient. And so I guess, how should this work to where when these people are calling, you are talking about it early, but still getting them to the point that matters most, which is the initial consult, because we don't know. We don't know how much it's going to cost until they come in and the testing has been done and they've been evaluated and there's been a, a plan prescribed because someone might need a gestational carrier another person might need donor gametes and someone really might need PGT. And then someone else might just need timed intercourse, right? So there's this huge range. So how do you have the conversation early and 
and answer this question that comes up so frequently? Well, I, I think it's always good, you know, tell the truth. And, uh, you know, I think the reality is, Griffin, as you pointed out, there's a big range. But, you know, I think it's reasonable to say, I think if the person who calls doesn't bring up any questions about finance, I think it would be reasonable for the person who's the scheduler to say, we know that for uh, a lot of people, we, we know that uh, uh, IVF, uh, you know, is a, an affordability issue. Um, we have lots of programs to help people with that. And we uh, usually uh, send a package about our programs that makes IVF affordable to everyone. Would you like to have one of these packages? And they can say yes or no. If they're, you know, if they're worth $100 million, they'll probably say no. So that's fine. If they bring up questions and say, well, what's it going to cost? You can say, well, you know, some of the treatments we do, you can have, you can write this all out so the scheduler doesn't have to make it up as they go. You know, IUI costs $1,500 a month or something like that. And then an IVF cycle is about 12 or 14 plus, you know, drugs or this and this. But we don't know exactly what services you will need. But we have, we, because we know some of, these, some of these treatments are not affordable for some people, we have programs to make them affordable. And we have a lot of different programs to help. We, I'd like to send you this information so you can read about the way we're gonna make the care you need affordable. And we understand. So you wanna have the scheduler, uh, you know, emphasize empathy that they understand it's a problem. And you wanna give them some information, but not too much. You'd be a little vague, don't give them, don't say we'll send a price list, I'm joking, but you know, don't, don't send them more than necessary. But then very importantly, tell them you care and you have a solution for them. And that's and, and you'll send the solution to them and you will work with them on it. And so I, I think that's how to approach it. And that's before you've ever seen the patient. So one, one person asked with respect to that, not everyone will need IVF at this start. Concerned, right. They're concerned that discussing IVF costs and financing comes off as that prior to the first visit and that it could cause a lack of trust with patients that, that we're only concerned, we're an IVF factory. We're not. That's a great, that's a great question. I totally agree. And that's where I say if the patient, you know, I think sending the information to everyone is reasonable because, Hey, who's kidding? Three cycles of IUI can cost four or $5,000 easily by the time you get in and have a consult and cost more than that in a lot of places. I know what things cost around the country, and it's a lot more than that someplace. Not everybody has four or five thousand dollars either. And it, you can also, uh, again, you you write the pitter patter up that the person's going to give. You can also say, uh, you know, often some of this is covered by insurance, uh, and you can put that in, and we will check your insurance, your benefits, make sure you can get the most benefits you can, and there can be some special plans to cut some costs down if you have those, and you know, you can emphasize that not everybody's going to need IVF. So you can sort of block out the conversation, you know, in five or six modules that the scheduler has based on what the person's asking. But the primary message is that uh, we uh, empathize with the fact that this costs money, that it's often not covered by insurance, but we have programs to solve these problems for those people who are interested. And I think, you know, those are the principal messages. And then uh, Andy Andy will uh, help you guys with the training of the staff. Uh, we train the staff, uh, we have 85 ARC clinics and we do staff training all the time for the financial counselors, schedulers and things like that. We do webinars and help train the staff so that they don't uh, have to do it in-house. Uh, and, and so Andy, maybe you want to talk a little bit about what sort of training you suggest. That was a question Vivian had. Yeah, so I think with, you know, one is, working with clinics in terms of understanding really where financing fits into their current workflow. So if it is happening later on in the process and it's happening, you know, at that initial consultation, helping coach them in, in terms of, you know, how they can present our program and through the customer interviews that we've done, we really know, you know, we've developed a lot of materials for financial counselors that hit on, the typical questions that patients have about programs. How long is it going to take for, how long does it take to finalize a loan? You know, are, am I able to cover multiple services? You know, things of that sort. And then working with clinics in terms of, you know, 
it is moving financing further up in the process. It's trying to help them craft welcome kit materials so they can send it to the patient and not say be invasive or pushing it, but at least, you know, here's materials you, that you can review prior to your consult and you put in financing and the different programs that you offer. And a point you can stress on is, you know, you can pre-qualify with no impact to your credit. And that's really a huge selling point to patients because if you can pre-qualify, you can see the amount that's available to you. You're able to know what fits within your budget in terms of treatment and what you can afford. It's really, what we heard from patients, it's a sense of a relief knowing prior to getting in the door that you can do that. I mean, we have dedicated fertility account managers that work with clinics on an ongoing basis to help train them on programs uh, or how to present our financing program, how to implement one. Um, doing like right now, we're doing a lot of retraining for financial counselors just because it can get confusing if they're managing three different lenders because they may each have their little nuances. So I think there's turnover in that space as well. So it's really just constantly staying in contact with the clinic, and making sure they're comfortable with our program and seeing what questions and issues they're running into. Uh, so I want to conclude with a question. Another program that was mentioned is uh, BBVA, who I assume is a lender through Unify. So for, for those that use Unify to predict outcomes and present patients with that data, that is uh, a program. They also make loans for IVF treatment. So that's another one for folks to consider. But gentlemen, as we wrap up, because I want to keep us mostly on time. And a lot of people have said, thank you. So thank you for the thank yous for everyone that has mentioned that in the, the comments. What's the biggest takeaway that you feel like centers should be doing with their financial counselors for their patients right now during this downtime over the next one to three months? What are the, the top one to three things that they should be doing? And maybe we use that to conclude. I'd encourage the clinics to reach out uh, to their patients now, make a plan for their treatment, and make a plan for them having the financial resources to go forward. And it's not necessarily a bad idea to apply for loans now if you think they'll be into treatment in the next uh, two, three, even four months. So do it now. Yeah, I would reiterate that. And I think about how you're positioning financing today and what opportunities you have to move that further up into the process in terms of getting patients educated and really leaning on your lending partners. I know at Ally, hey, reach out to me if you have questions about a lot of research and we're, we're just here to help clinics, to help patients because once the doors open up, patients are gonna be ready to move forward and the clinics need to be ready. And certainly contact uh, me, uh, contact uh, Arc Fertility if anybody has any questions and, and we can help you. We'd be happy to do that. And thank you everybody for attending and thank you, Griffin. Mr. Andy Swan of Ally and Dr. David Adamson of Arc, thank you both for coming on. And as people have follow-up questions, I'll direct them to you. Thanks so much for helping us. With All this right, webinar. appreciate it, Griffin. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Coronavirus Business Response Series on Inside Reproductive Health. If you find our free resources to be valuable, we ask that you share this episode on social media or with a colleague in the fertility field. Subscribe for the latest insights on managing and owning an IVF center or fertility business during the COVID-19 pandemic at fertilitybridge.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts.